Hello and welcome to the Everything is Black and White podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by Powerhouse Fitness Newcastle, your home fitness store where you can save up to 50% off home fitness equipment in their biggest ever sale. Visit your local Newcastle store on Percy Street or visit www.powerhouse-fitness.co.uk. Now, let's get on with the show. Welcome to the Everything is Black and White podcast. I'm Andrew Musgrove and it is the day after transfer deadline day. Joined by very tired Chris Swaff and even more tired Mark Douglas who's currently eating away on some crisps because I still think he's in his air. He hasn't recovered from yesterday, have you Mark? I had about five hours sleep in about 48, 48 hours so it's uh, it's been a pretty hectic one but um, but I think probably um, you know it's worth it when you see kind of, you know... It, it, you always want to work on those big stories, and uh, you know, I mean, me and Chris and Sean and all the other guys who work, Lee, who works really, really hard. It, it's actually quite good fun to work on it, especially when something's actually happening. Um, so you know, it, it, we're knackered, but kind of satisfied that at least we've worked like about nothing this time. True commitment to the cause. I mean, the first question is, Chris, was it a successful window for Newcastle United? Um, I think that the answer to that question would be overall not entirely successful I think that after 30 days of, of nothingness they've, well largely nothingness they had one day which I wouldn't say saved the window but, but made a bad window slightly better um, they should have reacted earlier the problem I've got with the journey businesses in general is how late they did it not just because of what they ended up getting in but mainly the points have dropped this month Rafa himself clearly was frustrated by the fact he didn't have a striker in for yesterday's game it was the same problems they had against Swansea I think Newcastle could realistically have had four more points if they had a proven goal scorer in this month, which would have them sitting up mid-table rather than as they are now, a point above the relegation zone. So I think that, that mistakes have been made and that they shouldn't paper over the cracks of what has overall been a poor window. But at the end, it, it, it was uplifting final day and they managed to get Slomani in, which I think he can be a good addition. Slight concern over his hamstring and uh, his thigh injury, sorry, which we're still waiting to find the exact extent of. Um, whether it is just a few days whether it is a couple of weeks plus he can't play against Leicester so you might only see him 10-11 times this season and he's going to have to hit the ground running in those games um, Dubravka I've spoken to people in the Czech Republic about but let's be honest we know very little about him other than what we're told so we have to wait and see how he's going to settle in and what he's going to do but Benitez has chased him since December Dubravka said that he first learned the interest since then so um, and Kennedy looked very good in his debut so I think overall the business they've done is is not bad but I just think the timing was poor and I think that it can't be seen as anything more than really a C in terms of a grade from here to F for the, for the window Can I be said about that the way it was looking on Monday uh, obviously Dan Sturridge saga that to get Slavani in to get to Bakken it, it is more than we were expecting but mm. it shouldn't be over the cracks over what was quite a frustrating January I, I think like there's the um, you know, I'm quite satisfied with what Newcastle have actually done in terms of that. I think they're better than they were, and there's, there's real positivity there about the, the additions. Kennedy looked good last night. I think Slomani's going to be a really excellent addition for Newcastle. Well, it looks like on, on paper anyway. Um, you never know how these things are going to work out. Storage might not have worked out, um, and the goalkeeper just kind of adds that competition and frees up Woodman, which we were talking about on Monday as something we were really concerned about whether they were maybe going to lose Woodman 
Um, and so I think actually, like taken and isolated out of some of the other issues at the football club, I think actually it's a good, been a good window. And they've actually come in under budget, which is obviously Lee Charnley's job is to do that as well. So I'm going to be a little bit more positive, I think, about what they've done. But like Chris said, I think all the other stuff around it, and you know, there are there are real concerns there about, um, and you know. I think they couldn't have done the Slomani deal earlier because I don't think Leicester were countenancing loaning him out earlier in the window because they wanted people to come in with, with bids for him. But, you know, it's like Mitrovic, isn't it? You know, you get to the final day and suddenly it's like, well, look, we're going to loan him out rather than keep him and not play him, which is what the Slomani situation I think was going to be. Um, and you just do that to kind of look after the pennies, really, with a view to summer. So I, I'd kind of go, you know, C plus, B minus, really, in terms of what they actually did. And, you know, I'll give them credit for the final day of the window because we, we've always worried about Newcastle doing multi-million pound deals in, in a very short space they of time. Didn't do they didn't pound deals, did they? Well, they did in that they did in that the, you know there's a lot there was a lot of money in in the Slomani. Oh, yeah, I know well, what you mean. Yeah. I know what you mean about. I mean, Nikolai Jurgensen. They spent far too long on that deal yeah. when they weren't going to do it. Um, uh, and you know, I, I'm like you. I, I have real worries about Newcastle United's future, and I think there's a big questions. Um, and it was a difficult window. I think everybody, I think everybody had a difficult window, um, but you know, and other teams that below them have strengthened and strengthened with more money, more resources, and done better. I think that's what I kind of worry about, really. But in terms of what Rafa wanted, he has got what he wanted, but too late. I think, like you said, and, and he knew that as well. And there's been a whole load of issues that we went into on Monday, didn't we, as well? And you know, about not knowing his budget till halfway through. What the hell was going on with Mike Ashley? Why did he only? Why when he appeared did it suddenly change? And all questions like that. that I think we have. But you know, on the simple question of are they in better shape than they were on January the thirtieth, the answer is yes. Um, and yesterday, I had a horrible vision that yesterday could have gone nobody in, lose the game, and it's we're in real trouble. It didn't go as well as it could have gone, but it didn't go as badly. And we just look ahead now, and, and there's some big big games coming up but isn't it easy to say that Newcastle are in a better position because of the position they were left in not just in the summer but also last January when Benitez wanted Towns and he wanted Loftus cheap players that would have fitted in nicely and they could hit the ground running in the Premier League didn't yeah. get them didn't get Tammy Abraham in in the summer it's mm. it, is it not easy to say that of course we're yeah, in a better position because of the way they did well, the last lo- two windows it's lowered expectations isn't it you know it, like what Rafa wanted Newcastle to be as a project working every you know working and having a plan for every two windows which other managers have said as well um, that hasn't come about and, and so that is not good enough really and it, that's why Rafa's frustrated but in terms of where they are and where they were on like January the 14th it, it, it's a rip-roaring success from where we thought it was going to be going I mean you guys had Simon Bird on the podcast and it was a really really good, good listen and, and you know if you go back to where we were there Miles better than, than what we thought was going to happen, but like you said, yeah, it's um, it, it, yeah, it, it definitely isn't that which it should have been and which other teams have done. But um, you know, I, I think Newcastle probably aren't alone in you know, probably having a bad window in terms of you spend a lot more money than you, than you have to. I, I just think there's massive question marks to come at the end of the season. The club's direction is Ashley going to be there? Is Rafa going to be there? And we don't know, and, and they, they, they don't know the answer to those questions. And that's no way for a football club to be run. But at least we now have some clarity in what we're facing, which is till the end of the season with a squad that's, it's going to be close, but probably has a bit more quality. Um, 
everybody now probably can shelve maybe some of the takeover talk, shelve the transfer talk. We know what Newcastle have to do, and they've got to go and do it now. Um, and um, you know, the, all the other stuff now really is kind of you know it's noise to an extent, um, and they just have to get on with it. And I think fans will probably feel a relief about that, won't they? Chris, do you think that this window said a lot about Mike Ashley and Rafa Benitez? You know, we all knew that Rafa Benitez wanted these players in by the 20th of January. It didn't happen. And what, for you, did the window say about their relationship and the difference between what Rafa wants and what maybe Rafa gets? Um, there's almost a paradox about it, to be honest, because it seems for once, for the, probably the first time since Ashley's, since sorry, Rafa's been there, that there really is almost a direct line now between Benitez and Ashley. They've, they've been in, in direct conversation at least three times over the last month, although I believe it is more than that. Um, and there have been regular conference calls. It did take Meg Ashley until the 20th of January or whenever it was to sign off uh, the fact that Benitez could go and get the green light, as he called it, to bring in players. But I think that that is interesting in itself and it shows that... that I think it shows the control Ashley still has as much as he wants to see otherwise that nothing happens at Newcastle United unless nothing big happens at Newcastle United unless Mike Ashley gives a say so um, but uh, on, the, on the other side as you say Benitez wanted signings by the 15th the 20th at the latest he made that clear to Mike Ashley in, back in December and it didn't happen so clearly there is still a disconnect there in terms of how things actually work Benitez kept on intimating at his pre-match press conference where he said uh, there is a better way of doing things. We could have done things in a different way. Um, and I, that's the main problem I've, I have with the January window. As Mark says, I, I think they are stronger by the 1st of February than they were coming in the 1st of January. But January was, was a, a perfect opportunity on the pitch for Newcastle to have had a right goaded. They got the win at Stoke and they had momentum at that stage. But they'd signed some players who would then have been ready for the games upcoming as well. Crystal Palace on Sunday is a huge game. Slomani might not be fit for it. And Dubravka is just going to be thrown in, having only arrived yesterday if he does play. Kennedy has had the week to bed in and looked very good last night. If Newcastle had signed these players earlier, as I said, they could be up to four points better off and then going into these games with a bit of momentum, which they really need. And the home form is becoming alarming. And I think part of... That, that's been allowed to run through the whole of January and that, that's the issue I've got with it there just seems to be a disconnect between what Rafa wants to do and above that they can't do things quick enough or they're unwilling to do things quick enough or a combination of the above it, for whatever reason it isn't quite connected there I mean that's been the issue you could argue for the last eight, nine years you know Mike Ashley's biggest mistake probably wasn't building on the fifth place finish from there it kind of spiralled out of control downhill in the castle relegated etc etc didn't sack Steve McLaren soon enough, give him two extra games, which arguably could have been the six points, or at least three against Bournemouth, which kept Newcastle up. Are we just going to continue to go around in circles, do you think, in Newcastle United and I might actually? Um, yeah, I mean, look, the, the the thing is, you know, you go back to that season and, and they had they had some money then. I think what the frustration is, is maybe that they didn't they didn't act a bit, bit quicker there. Um, I, think the, I think the thing about the thing about January really is, as Chris said, you know, Rafa had deals ready to go, and and if there was money there, which there obviously was, because they made fifty million pound bid for Nikolai Jurgensen, why wasn't that money released a little bit earlier in the window? Because they could have probably had Jurgensen uh, on the at the early stage, the early week of January. And it's these little things that Rafa has become so frustrated about because he knows how really good football clubs operate, and you know he can see that Newcastle United isn't operating like that. 
and and it costs it's these little things that mount up and, and, and cause problems and you know that's what we've always said that if Newcastle United to run like a really you know good professional football club it can you know they don't need multi multi-million pounds and, and I think that's probably why somebody like Amanda Stavey and PCP Capital Partners see Rafa as so important is because they think well we haven't got the football knowledge but somebody like him has Newcastle are paying him handsomely over £505 million a year because he's somebody with that football knowledge. So why don't they listen to him is the question that I would have. Why do they have other people in there who seem to think they know better than, than Rafa and seem to think that you know that they've got a better plan? And even if you know they don't agree with Rafa, why don't they explain it to him? That's the, that's the question you have. And it's all about this dysfunction that I think Lee, Lee Ryder's written about a few times. You know, I've read, I've read you know, I've done pieces there where he's, he keeps mentioning a dysfunctional football club and that's what he means. Um, you know, I, I kind of I, I hoped the summer after relegation that that Mike Ashley had learned his lesson, but the but the subsequent kind of year and a half after that have sort of you know disproved me. And I, you know, that's the worry, isn't it? That like, how many more chances do you give Mike Ashley because he doesn't show you know that kind of willingness to sort of do that. He does things his own way, um, and and that that's the point, you know. I think in the summer, ironically, if they stay up, they will have more money. They'll probably have the kind of money that McLaren had because they'll have a year of TV money. Um, they'll have got the, the worst of the accounts out of the way. I think you'll see in the accounts when they come out that the club's financial situation has, has, has kind of taken a massive hit after relegation um, and it will improve again after you know if they stay up for the year. But, you know, that's a big, big ask. And as we've said here before, you know, if the owner can pump his own money in when they get relegated, why can't he do it to keep them in the Premier League, you know, and, and, and sort of do those extra things? I mean, Glenn Hoddle said it. I mean, I don't think Glenn Hoddle's somebody who's Newcastle fans would think would be a natural sympathiser of theirs because he's quite a vanilla kind of guy, isn't he? He's not, he doesn't say a lot. He's not going to come out and, and be uh, mounting the barricades against Mike Ashley, but he said it himself, didn't he? You know, it doesn't make any sense what they do. And he's right. I suppose the other question is how many... How, how far can Rafa Benitez be pushed? Because I suppose after, what it, be three windows now, he would have been expecting not to be laying the foundations of a squad, but building on it. And again, come the summer, if Newcastle survive, he's not going to be building on it. He is going to be still laying the, the foundations. Yeah, that, it's, a, it's the question we keep asking every week and fans keep asking, and I'm sure Rafa Benitez keeps asking himself, is when is it that, when is there going to be this opportunity to actually build something rather than just almost firefight, which is what he's had to do for the last three windows. He had to just basically get Newcastle up during the second half of last season and, and, and it was a lot harder than it should have been because they didn't get the signings they needed. Over the summer, he was only able to bring in a few players either who basically failed in the Premier League of previous clubs or who didn't have the experience at that level. And then in this window, he's managed to get some signings laid on, but it, it's been delayed and, and none of them have been permanent signings. So he is going to be questioned if you said that was an interesting at his press conference before the Burnley game that he was asked about Jurgensen. He wouldn't speak specifically about Jurgensen, but he said in terms of did he value Jurgensen at £20 million? And he wouldn't speak about Jurgensen, but what he said was, I don't overpay for players. I've never overpaid for players. Um, and basically, implying that he thought Jurgensen was worth £20 million in the current market. And also, if you look at the signs he's actually made, this this window, and yes, I know it will bear out as to whether Newcastle stay up or not, but he's made three loan signings, so about £6 million loan fees altogether, somewhere between 5 and £6 million. If Dubravka signs permanently, it's about £4 million on top of that. So really, it would be a £10 million outlay roughly there 
and Newcastle have probably got three decent players for that. If you look at that compared to the value of other teams, what they've brought in, Rafa's managed to, yeah, albeit Rafa was working with a smaller budget, but he's managed to bring in what looked like very good signings for that sort of money. And this is what I, I didn't understand about last summer. The signings he wanted, yes, Caballero may have got a decent sign on fee and his wages may have been pretty high, but he was a free transfer. He would have gone in, in, a, in a goal. Tammy Abraham, yes, it was going to be a fair bit of money, but there wasn't. it wasn't an actual fee in terms of we were paying £15, £20 million pound for a striker. They were paying the loan fee plus his wages. And Newcastle didn't go out and do that or they didn't go out and do it quick enough. And it's ended up really in the long run costing them more money and could yet cost them more still if they don't go down. And that's where I don't think Rafa understands where Ashley's coming from because they've sat down and discussed this. And, and for whatever reason, the two of them are still on different wavelengths and they need to, to go on to the find the same path together because at the moment they're still going it's divergent at the moment obviously then Benitez said he spoke to Mike Ashley uh, his press comments before the Burnley game what do you think kind of provoked that phone call what do you think made Mike Ashley maybe sit up and say right okay we'll, we'll do something in the next 24 hours I think, I think Mike Ashley you know wants wants to keep Rafa at Newcastle United and I think part of that is because you know he knows that the takeover, um, if it's going to happen or if he's going to retain value in the club, is, you know, Rafa's a big asset for, for Newcastle. I think Rafa knows that as well. I think the, I think the pair of them are pretty, you know, they're, you know, they're both cute, aren't they? They're both cute in their own ways because I think Mike Ashley leaves areas of ambiguity in the way that he runs the football club. And, you know, because he knows that those areas of ambiguity sometimes stop people from paying, from spending a lot of money you know he, he, there, there's, I think there's a, the reason why they haven't broken their transfer record is because I think that the people who are charged with making the decisions know that every penny at the end of the season is it has to be accounted for you know the, 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 the debriefs at the end of the season can be I think quite um, rigorous and forensic and it is very much like well, why did you spend X amount there when you know maybe the money could have been better spent elsewhere. Do you think there was a real ambition to break the record? No and I think I think people I think what happened with that was the it was reported as and this it didn't come from Newcastle it was reported as if Newcastle are going to deal they do the deal for Nikolai Jürgens and they're going to have to break their transfer record they, it was never reported I don't think really that there was a, a determination to break it um but I, I, I think the problem is that as soon as they do that, as soon as they go over a certain amount, it, it's like a red flag. It's like it almost gets flagged up by people, you know, by by Mike Ashley. I, I think that I don't know for certain. I think that Justin Barnes is there to kind of keep a very close eye on the bottom line, and any kind of big deal that gets done that's going to have a massive impact on the club's finances for four or five years is being is be, they're going through it with a very fine tooth comb, which wasn't happening in the first summer of Rafa when it started to get questioned again um, and, and you know Newcastle moved away from their policy a little bit and they've kind of snapped back now a little bit um, and they have signed some older players they've signed a 29 year old striker but they've only signed him on a very short term loan and I think that's the problem when it comes to, to you know breaking the transfer record I think it, it's just this kind of you know it's almost like you've got to you've got to prove every penny that you spend at Newcastle United has to be spent correctly and it's like Rafa would say with Matt Ritchie you know the extra two million that they spent above what their valuation was ended up being worthwhile because they went up and he was a very key player and I think he would say that about Jurgensen look 
yeah, it's 20 million, it's 20 million pounds, 22 million euros, but it, it's money that you have to spend. I mean, he says, you know, he's he said before, hasn't he, that that's the going rate for a striker now, for, you know, a gamble of a striker. Um, so I, th- I think that's the, you know, that for me, that's the that's the big problem is that every single financial decision is, is gone through with a fine-tooth comb. And actually, I don't think that's necessarily the worst way to run a football club, but it's out of step with what's going on in the in the game at the moment. I agree, it's not the worst way to run a football club. The problem I had with the whole Jorgensen deal was, I, I, if Rafa w- believes he's worth £20 million, he knows far more about Jorgensen than I do. I always thought, well, that seems quite a lot of money. But if Newcastle United always knew that was too much money, that they were never going to pay that, Feyenoord had made it very clear from the start, he's, he's £20 million either get close to that and then we're going to have proper conversations or he's not leaving and they never ever got closer the closest they got was £15 million and that was four days or whatever it was after they made the initial bid if they knew they were never going to go up to the money then say it right I'm sorry Rafa but we're not going for him we're going so you're going to have to look elsewhere and it wasted four or five days in a transfer window which is only 31 days long anyway and that's where I think the problem arises is rather if you know you're not going to spend the money then just make it clear to Benitez and say we're moving on elsewhere you're not going to get them because we're not going to pay the money mm-hmm. so and, and there was that confusion as to where I think there was it was, it was a belief from Benitez and somewhere that oh they, they maybe they will go up to this price but it was quite clear they were never going to get near 20 million and I guess that scenario doesn't help the relationship with the fans because there might be some questions maybe from the hierarchy that we were going after Jorgensen why the fans may be a bit sceptical but that scenario painted there is exactly why fans are maybe a bit sceptical of any any transfer dealings because they feel were they serious were they really going to go for them yeah and it's it's not even a case I don't, I don't think it's just that they weren't serious it's just that they seemed to think that the final order would have come out with final it wasn't it wasn't a case of negotiations where final had gone ridiculously high said 25 million uh, oh sorry 20 million and expecting to get 15 million the basically I think the first quarter was close at 24 million euros and then it went down to 22 and it was quite clear they weren't going to budge much from there and and Newcastle could have just I think that fans would understand if they said, "Look, we just don't think this player's worth that." Even if the manager does, the constraint, the financial constraints we have, we don't think he's worth that, and just moved on to a different target. But it took them so long to get there, and also in that in that time, they basically kept negotiations ongoing and so you know, could return with another bid, even though it never realistically looked like they were going to meet that. And I, I don't think it did themselves any favours because I think that sometimes these things get portrayed and painted as if, mm. and some people get the perception that it's deliberate. I don't think it was deliberate. I don't think usually it is deliberate, but it's all this cynicism that's around Newcastle at the minute, and understandably so, given the Magashi era. And just sometimes I just don't think the club helps himself. And I think, you know, and I think to be fair to Lee Charney, who comes in for a lot of stick, in the summer that they got relegated, when I think he was given free reign to work with Rafa on doing deals, and they were, and it was. Lee Charlie and Rafa Benitez working on deals. The deals got done quickly. Five in a, two, in a week and a half. Wasn't it? Five in a week and a half. Um, like Chris says, and they paid for Richie. They paid for Gale, and they, those deals got done quickly, and they got done, you know, easily. So what has changed since then? Well, you have to you have to look at it and, and see what the problem is. So look, I'm not, I, I, you know, I, I'm. I think we have to be really careful in terms of like we're not privy to the exact conversations that happen and I think that's something about the Daniel Sturridge thing isn't it and, and probably the Tammy Abraham thing as well is you know are these players being a little bit naughty or are they using Newcastle to kind of extract more um, value from other clubs potentially they are and you know it would be great and I've, I've just seen because you obviously asked the questions I've seen somebody asking there about an interview with Lee Charney and 
what do we do to try and get that interview? Well, we will put a request, and we've got a uh, kind of you know an open request to um, to the hierarchy about it. But we, but I will put in a specific request to ask about you know without giving any way, away any commercial secrets about Newcastle's point of view of how the transfer window went down because I think that Lee Charnley um, probably has a very different perception of how things went and um, you know it can be I've just seen Chris Coleman has said it's a brutal January transfer window is brutal and people lie to you all the time and I think that's true and and, and you know I don't think the club uh, you know everybody was saying to us the club are briefing you saying that they're going to go and spend their transfer record and they won't do that it wasn't the case that did not happen Keith Bishop did not pick up the phone and speak to Chris, Lee, myself, yourself. That did not happen. Um, and all I can say is, honestly, that did not happen. And, it, and it, you know, it doesn't happen. Um, you know, the club tell us, and they are genuinely, usually pretty honest, aren't they, Chris? I mean, I don't know in your experience, but in my experience, you put in a request to them. They can't always tell you, and sometimes they will, they will um, you know, just say, we're not going to say anything on that. Or you don't always get an answer response quickly, but that's fair enough. I, I think that you know, the it's an unreasonable expectation to, to think that Newcastle are going to talk us through every deal and what happened. Um, but all we can go on is that you know something has changed in the last year, um, and it looks like it's it's coming with the whatever Mike Ashley decided to, to sell the club. I think at first it was Graham Carr, then it's become Justin Barnes. And the way that things are done, and, and you know, Lee Charlie gets a lot of stick, and you know, I'm not saying he's perfect. I'm not saying that at all, and and you know, but I think I have some sympathy for him, and I know that's. I agree. I'm, I'm sorry. Last week, yeah. It might not be a popular thing for for people to hear, but you know, he's in a difficult position at, as managing director at Newcastle United. He's in a really difficult position, and. Um, I'll cut, I'll cut him some slack sometime and one thing I probably just need to be clear about is just what Justin Barnes is doing at Newcastle and we've said it many times know. over the last year we, we, we don't know and it would be good well, if the club kind of came out and just we do you know, know we do know in that he's there to get the club in a position where it can be sold ok well we, how does that affect though Lee Charlie's role in, in maybe buying the players because it's an extra layer of management that the, the club have to go through to uh, that the that the manager has to go through and that the club have to go through to to try and get these deals signed off. Um, and Chris will probably be able to tell you a little bit more about exactly where it's coming from. But it looks to me as if, you know, that's his role. You know, it, it, it's almost like an extra level of management sort of saying, can you go back and get that deal cheaper? Oh, I think that's an extra. I, I, that's what it looks like to me. Well, historically, what Justin Barnes has done in Magashi's other companies is he's gone in and basically streamlined them, as Mark says. It's either to cost cut in some ways or to get them ready for a big transaction usually a sale usually a takeover or whatever so it's no coincidence that in the 12-13 months which he's been heavily involved the club has gone on the market both first privately and then actually publicly it was announced that the club has been put up for sale and at all of this to a certain extent is conjecture we ask the questions and we get told it by certain people but as, as Mark said we haven't actually been told this specifically the club haven't commented officially on the record about it uh, Justin Barnes hasn't commented officially on the record about it Mike Ashley hasn't Lee Charnley hasn't so um, but what, what, what I would encourage fans is that there should be a fans forum in the not too distant future uh, my understanding is that Newcastle will have to have two fan representation meetings or whatever guys the Premier League has and Newcastle is the fans forum a season usually they would have one in February 
It hasn't yet been confirmed the date as far as I'm aware, but Newcastle are going to have to have one before the end of the season. And for any fans who do want these questions asked, particularly about Justin Barnes and about any other issues about transfers, about what the policy was during January, always hot topics during these fans forum. I would encourage you to get in touch with the people who uh, represent you on the fans forum, which you can find out on the club website, and to put these questions to them, um, because that is another way of trying to get these official answers. If they if they won't speak to us, if they won't speak on the record, then maybe at fans forums, if these questions are put forward, to be fair on the club, they usually have been quite open during these discussions with Charlie when he is there is usually very open so maybe that that will be a way of getting these questions answered now just a quick message from our sponsors today's podcast is brought to you by powerhouse fitness newcastle your home fitness store where you can save up to 50 percent off home fitness equipment in their biggest ever sale no longer will you need to feel the unnerving sensation of another man's body heat on your saddle sheepishly move weight under the gaze of the local beefcake or put up with that atrocious gym music can support the podcast by visiting the Newcastle Powerhouse Fitness Store on Percy Street or their website at www.powerhouse-fitness.co.uk where right now you can save hundreds of pounds on treadmills, exercise bikes, weight, nutrition and home gym packages. Long term, obviously the low, it's loan signings that have come in. Does that say more about Mike Ashley's uh, long term plan for Newcastle United than anything else? I think partly yes. I think to, to an extent it shows that the if he can sell the club between now and this summer, then there is he certainly would be open to doing that if the right offer comes along. Um, seemingly not from Amanda Stavely and PCP Capital Partners if his statement last month is anything to go by. Um, but as, as a piece that's going up later on, apparently there are still interested parties, according to Dr Tom Markham, who is someone who uh, has de- dealt with takeovers of football clubs before at Southampton and West Brom. I think he was involved there. He says that six non-disclosure agreements were signed initially and that he doesn't know how many are still active but he says definitely there are at least one or two still active and people are in the data room stage of due diligence at the club which would suggest there is still interest but he theorises that it's unlikely anyone's going to buy the club until A, they're safe from relegation and B, the new TV deal's announced um, and I think from Meg Ashley's approach it is partly short-termist yeah, and also... I suppose from Rafa's point of view, um, you can look at it as he's signed players that if he is going to have to rebuild in the summer, once he knew he wasn't going to get Jorgensen, who was someone he thought could be a long-term option, he didn't just want to sign someone as another body. He signed, so he signed players who are here until the summer, although Dubravka, there is an option to buy. And then he can reassess it again in the summer if he does stay if there is a takeover or not and really decide with the players he wants in his squad rather than be lumbered with bodies because that's been part of the issue over the last two windows as well is that because Mike Ashley's been in charge he's wanted bodies out before bodies come in and Rafa's found it difficult to offload some of the bodies players he'd signed just for the championship or whatever and he didn't want to do that just for a six month period so I think that he's part of the reason as well there whereas he didn't want the club just to spend money and him be lumbered with players he didn't necessarily want long term Obviously, yesterday the game of Banner revealed at the um, just before kickoff, Kevin Keegan quote, uh, quite a powerful message. Um, the fans, I mean, the fans got a right to, to to air their views, right time to do it. Um, yeah, I mean, I think the Banner looked looked great. It it changed the debate. Um, you know, I, I'm not, I don't really like having a go at other media outlets, but I think there has been some stuff this year from a national perspective where the you know 
and and I re- I think Sky do a brilliant job. Sky Sports do a brilliant job with their coverage. It's you know for the most part quite quite. Uh, it's really difficult to cover it in the way that they do, and I think they do a brilliant job. They package it really well. It's a big part of it, but I I don't understand why they have a nightly debate show called the debate. Um, you know, uh, brilliantly, and the last four or five times I've watched it and they've discussed Newcastle, they've had Dennis Wise, Craig Bellamy, Simon Jordan. Ian Wright, um, I can't remember who the last of the other person was that I'm thinking of, Paul Merson, uh, talking about Newcastle United. Simon Jordan um, has a bee in his bonnet about Newcastle United for some reason. He's an idiot, I'm sorry. Yes, well, he's, you know, he, and he's another one of these renter quotes who just wants to talk, wants to, he thinks it's a great to start a debate, and by starting a debate, he thinks that being deliberately kind of you know, one way or the other, or being, you know, and he knows what he says about, you know, he keeps starting this big thing about, which is the biggest club. It doesn't matter, you know, it doesn't matter. It's ridiculous. Craig Bellamy seems to have a real um, thing about Mike Ashley. You know, he, he, you know, Craig Bellamy will say every every time he's on, he will say that Newcastle is not as big a club as it thinks it is. It doesn't do things. But it, it would be a great club if somebody took it on. But then he, took, but then he will say, Things about Mike Ashley and how great he is. Dennis Wise worked for Mike Ashley, um, was a part of it, and you know, fair enough. It was quite interesting to get the insight from somebody who clearly still speaks to him, um, but was very pro Mike Ashley. Um, Ian Wright, I think, is actually pretty good. To be fair, I think he's very down the line. Paul Merson, you know, he's a he's quite an entertaining person to watch, but I don't think he's got any knowledge of Newcastle United. Why don't they get people on who are in the northeast? They've got a reporter here. Um, they've got a guy on Sky Sports News who is a Newcastle United fan. He would probably be able to be quite more, a bit more balanced. He would be able to tell you what's going on. Um, they have Christian Perslow on. They have, you know, they have all these people on. But, but you know, you don't see Newcastle United voices. If you want to have a debate about Newcastle United, why don't they get people on? And I think, you know, for me, the the, the, the putting the banner out there because it was such a good quote because it wasn't. The Cockney Mafia out, and I'm not having a go at the people who made that banner, but I think that set Newcastle United's cause back quite a lot because it it furthered the idea that Newcastle United fans hate people from the south, which just isn't true. Um, that banner yesterday was a lot more nuanced. It didn't mention Mike Ashley, so they got you know did did it really intend to be Mike Ashley? I think it did. It clearly did, but it was it was it was a cut emotive quote. It was every single football fan around the country would look at that banner and think. Yeah, that that strikes a chord. So I looked at it and thought it's an intelligent way of grabbing some attention and wrestling the agenda away from, you know, either these people who who love Newcastle being back in the Premier League because it's good for a debate, you know. And and actually, you know, I I don't want to have a go at Sky Sports. I don't want to have a go at even Talksport because people are having a go at them as well. I think actually Talksports. You know, I think a really good listen sometimes, and and I know that it's but they have to they have to raise a debate. You know, they have to get a debate as well. What you would ask is they just have people on, and I think to be fair to talks, but they do. They've got Mick Quinn, David Janola's on there, um, Steve Howie will be on there. Um, you know, sometimes instead of me, um, <laughs> in joke there. Um, but you know, and I think I think so, and I wouldn't. I don't want to tar the whole organisation, but something like the banner last night. It's a new way for the national audience, and that's what it's about, I think, for to an extent for Newcastle United fans at the moment. is It's a new way because it's not, you know, the, the takeover is not going to happen within Newcastle because we haven't got anybody here who's got enough money. It's, it's about projecting an international and national image of why this club is great and why 
a takeover would, would work well and why people are upset with Mike Ashley. It's not about him being from the South. It's not about he doesn't give enough money for players. It's it's accumulation of things. Um, and, you know, you've got to be nuanced and balanced and rational about it. And that banner to me looked rational. It was nuanced and it was really, really effective. It, it did the job, Chris. I mean, it was trending worldwide. There's moments on, on Twitter with all the photographs and reaction, Alan Shearer backed it in so many words, um, you know, and obviously taught that the war flags may face some uh, punishment for that. Obviously, to, the, the club have allowed them in to do the, the, the displays, which have looked brilliant every time they've done them. But I suppose the fans would argue, well, it's 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 one way to go out. It would be if that was the case. I mean, as of yet, I don't believe that has happened, but you would have thought there would be some repercussions by all accounts. I don't think Meg Ashley was overly impressed by it, um, which you can't in some ways blame for the fact that uh, the agreement from the club to, to let the fans come in and do this and usually they, they have been neutral banners or supportive of the team but I, I suppose War Flags turn around and argue well it was, it's it's supportive of our club, it's, it's our institution no man who owns it is, is bigger than that um, the, only, the only problem I've got and this is not discouraging anyone from protesting if they believe that that's for them is I don't think it's going to. I don't think it'll make any difference at all to Meg Ashley. He doesn't. He doesn't care what people think of him anymore. That shouldn't stop people from airing their views. As, as Mark says, nationally, internationally, people need to understand why fans are frustrated with the ownership of the club and the way the club's being run. But in terms of the effect it'll have on Meg Ashley, he already wants to sell the club anyway. But this this isn't going to make accelerate that process. This isn't going to. Uh, decelerate that process. It's just going to be the same because he's he's so far past past that point of disconnect and, and not being bothered. I say he was angry, but that's because they got in and and displayed it at the club. I don't. It's not going to change his. It's not going to suddenly make him sell up. But um, the protests need to be there if fans believe in them because, as Mark says, it shows internationally and nationally. And I guess in one way it just shows. I mean that quote is probably six, seven, maybe eight years old. Um, from when Keegan did it I think at an after dinner event it kind of highlights the fact that maybe nothing has changed or at least the fans don't feel anything has changed since then and it is kind of just going around in circles and I'm like actually yeah to a large extent um, I think it's it's a really really eloquent quote it's a very very good quote it's a mode of uh, it's straight to the point and it's something everyone can connect with no matter whether you are massively Andy Ashley or pro Ashley or neutral on the whole. So it's something that w- that will strike a chord with just about everyone uh, who's connected with Newcastle United Football Club, um, and it, it to a large degree it has been uh, cyclical. There's been the differences that he brought in uh, Rafa Benitez and then convinced Rafa Benitez to stay, and there was the summer when they went down when bizarrely that created a positivity. Um, sort of like the phoenix out of the ashes for want of a better term where Newcastle looked like they were going to rebuild and that was going to be the big turning point but it, it it's just come round in a big circle um, and now Mike Ashley seems to want out he seems to think it's time for him to go as well as long as he gets the money he wants uh, so I think that I think that we are still at the start of the end game I think that the end game is not so far away Mike Ashley is, ne- is never going to leave I I'm not saying it's imminent but I do still think that, that, that he feels it's time to go and fans have felt it for, for quite a while now Fantastic, I'm just going to get on to some 
questions from the fans, but maybe we should just, just explain that to Steve Howie, Joe Mark. What was it that you got called to go on a radio station and then... No, it was a Today programme um, about the takeover, I think. I got, I got a message from somebody uh, at the Today programme asking me to go on and by the time I'd actually seen the message, I'd got a reply to the message saying, actually, don't worry about it, we've got Steve, we've got Steve Howie instead. And, you know, I think probably fair play because I think Steve Howie would be a better guest um, uh, but I just, we, it just, it was, I think it was just funny because uh, I think my, the request lasted about forty-five seconds before I, uh, <laughs> before I was bumped off, <laughs> which is great. Although not the worst, I once was on the BBC News Channel and um, I got bumped off because Anne Robinson overran. Um, so there you go. Oh, goodness me, it's all coming out now. I sat in a dark studio at BBC Newcastle for uh, two hours. And uh, yeah, and uh, Anne Robinson overran, so I didn't, I didn't get, uh, I didn't get on to talk about Newcastle getting relegated in two thousand eight. There you go. Moving on. Um, so yeah, so I can remember <laughs> not that's burned in my uh, consciousness. Yeah, still not over it. Uh, some uh, questions from fans now. Ralph Blackburn on Twitter asks: Obviously, Newcastle Benitez wanted a number ten. Perez has kind of been playing there, but um, do you think De Jong could have done a decent job? Had he been, a, been fit essentially um, I, th- I think De Jong is technically a very good player but I think that it just hadn't worked out for him in Newcastle I think that there was too much baggage in terms of what he'd had injury wise and, and the fact he hadn't been getting in the team and the physicality of the league I think he needed a fresh start um, and I just don't think in this season where Newcastle have been up against it anyway that he, he would have been the answer although I do think he is a technically gifted player and I think that if he hadn't ha- suffered the injuries early in his Newcastle career it could have been a success I just don't think I think it was the right thing for him to go in the summer and Roth also asks um, are there any options to buy the three loan players that have come in um, but it's just Dubravka isn't Dubravka, it yes uh, I think it's about £4 million ish uh, Slomani my understand is not Kennedy definitely not He's going to stay at Chelsea. Chelsea, Chelsea yeah. Fantastic. Um, another question from the Clock Toys. Pronounce that right. Uh, will Slimani's arrival revitalise Gale and Jocelyn by taking the pressure off the mark, or do you think it'll just kill their self belief? No, I, I don't think Jocelyn's. Um, I, I think Jocelyn's probably playing at his level, um, so it might take a bit of pressure off him. I'd like to see him maybe come in as a. Um, you saw he, he was more effective when he came on um, Swansea wasn't it where he yeah. scored you know he might be a more effective substitute actually coming on and maybe being a bit, bit something a bit different um, Gale what's happened to Gale you know he, he looks so bereft on um, Sunday and you know considering where he was just before Christmas when he started to yeah. look pretty good um, yeah that's the hope isn't it and I think that's that's something about transfers is they can be transfers can be transformative you know West Brom are bottom of the league, but they, but their fans and the manager, um, who's no stranger to us all here. Sorry, it's my watch. Um, yeah, it is. But you know, they're tr- completely transformative because they're now talking about we've got an England international up front, um, and you know it's given everybody a lift there, uh, and they're going into some winnable games, aren't they, in, in, in a few weeks? So that's that's the thing. You hope that he comes in, has a bit of a, gives everybody a bit of a lift and um, and kicks on. You could see yesterday Kennedy made a difference in it because he looked good. And the thing with Slomani and Gale is I think they could potentially play together as well if you want to play two up top. Slomani's certainly one who could, could play with Gale just off him and that, that may well suit Gale. Um, but hopefully the competition 
is raised because of that. I thought Kennedy did look very good on uh, on, on Wednesday. I hope that uh, that he continues to deliver the ball as he as he has as he did last night because it tends to be that when a player comes to Newcastle and is there for any length of time, then that quickly gets coached out of them. Nothing. That's that's not against Rafa. That's a long term thing where Matt Ritchie seems to have forgotten how to cross a ball in. John Joe Shelby does as well, and all confidence has been affected. So hopefully. Kennedy is able to keep and going because the delivery was fantastic. Seeing the corners actually beat the first man was yeah. was something to behold. I haven't seen that in quite a while. And it wasn't just from corners, it was from open play as well. He was beating his man and crossing it in. There was a genuine excitement whenever he got the ball. The, the crowd, even in the first 10-15 minutes, as soon as he got the ball, suddenly there was noise in the stadium. He'd been nervous up to that point and he really looked like making some happen. He obviously won the penalty uh, assist with the the wonderful cross and really unlucky to hit the post it was a fantastic save actually from Nick Pope we got just a little bit of a, a touch to it so I think he does look exciting still raw but someone who can make something happen and I think he could be the difference maker in home games him and Slomani if he gets the ball in the box he creates the chances Slomani hopefully will be able to finish them uh, Richard Willoughby just asks about Slomani's injury obviously he's got a thigh injury so he's likely to miss the game against Palace we believe probably back from Manchester United at the moment, we're still waiting for exact confirmation on it. There's been conflicting reports, and you speak to different people, and they give different assessments. Leicester seemed to think it was going to be closer towards two weeks. Slomani's people and Newcastle seem to think it's closer to a week. So I think he's unlikely to feature on Sunday. Best would be the bench, I would have thought. Um, potentially Man United, um, or at least a bench role, and then certainly uh, after the two-week break after that, because... There's apparently there's something called FA Cup fifth round weekend which I don't know what that is because I've never had to cover it for this uh, institution so I'm just wondering whether this medically failed uh, might have had an impact <laughs> on because the uh, new I'll go down with uh, in history as kind of the panic uh, the second half panic won't it the, uh, the failed medical the well, at least it's never boring um, the other question I think Mark's mentioned this uh, this is from does a magpie tweet who asked about Lee Charlie in abuse, obviously, yeah. we'll just extend that invite again if yeah, Lee Charlie would like to come uh, in. Absolutely, yeah, we'd, we'd, love to, we'd love to hear from him. I under, look, I understand why, you know, I don't want to sound overly sort of um, soft on, on Lee Charlie because obviously, you know, he's senior man at Newcastle United in a lot of ways, but I would understand why certain issues might not be on the agenda if he did agree to do, a ta- to do an interview. Things like the takeover, you know, that aren't his remit really, Rafa's. You know, Rafa's future, maybe you could talk about that a little bit, but there's a lot of things, or even Justin Barnes, you know, it's like, it, it, it might be difficult, but it would be nice to hear about what had happened in the transfer window, why the club did it, where they're going. Um, but, um, you know, it'd be a bit like Piers Morgan, Donald Trump, wouldn't it, if we got it, and then uh, we'd, we'd get accused of being soft. I'm sure it's the only reason you got it or whatever, but uh, but it's still, it'd be nice to be in that position to be able to be accused of being soft. What shit would we be able to give Lee Charlie Um you go with Bradford one? I could give him Bradford one, yeah. He's a Lancashire guy, isn't he? So he's, uh, you know, he's probably, uh, no, he would like Bradford. Would he? he's, he's, uh, no. But I have met Lee Charlie and done an interview with him before and he was very, very good company and didn't ask for any questions not to be answered. And uh, at that point, but that point he, he had John Carver in management. He was very good. So you're saying that you've interviewed him once and then he hasn't wanted to come back and be interviewed again? <laughs> no, I, yeah, and I don't think it was that. I don't think it was that. I, I, but I, although having said that, you know, I did think he he probably looked at some of the reaction to it because he said a lot of things and was very open um, in his own way. And the, he, the initial reaction was just negative. 
I don't believe you, you're, it's rubbish. And I think that is the problem that they find themselves in now is that, you know, for, for a lot of reasons, many of which are self-inflicted, they don't really see the what benefit it does them now, to be honest, and to talk because they say that people just don't believe them or twist it against them. And that's, that, you know, that's what you kind of have uh, from Newcastle at the moment. They did try, didn't they? they? They were a lot more... I mean, Lee Charming was being quoted and being interviewed a lot more. And I think they were trying to move him to the front of house a little bit more um, this time last year. And then January happened and it just brought it all down. And I think they were trying to rehabilitate Lee Charmy a little bit more. But, um, you know, where we are at the moment, I mean, we'll ask. And I would love to love to hear. Um, but, you know, I, I, I think it, in an ideal world, he would like to be in that situation. But he works for, um, you know, quite demanding boss and who... Is not well, it's nothing to do with the football club, or very little to do with the football club, apparently. So. Well, he's, yeah, he said to me at the High Court last year that he um, he's last to know about Newcastle's business. Well, if that's the case, then why? What happened this January? They give give Slamani's private jet. Yeah, which I th- you know, and, and he got I tweeted that and got a lot of stick for that. But you know, the thing is, you've got to give people credit where credit is yeah. due, as well as criticising them, and that is something that is. You know, I try to be fair to both parties because that was what Newcastle United said when we were banned, that they didn't think there was balance in the newspaper. Now, we we felt differently, but when we were banned, they said they felt that we weren't balanced enough in the way that we covered them. We felt that we gave too much weight to criticism and didn't praise them enough for things that they did. And while I would say, you know, I think we did, I, you know, I, I do appreciate where they're coming from with that because it's a very easy thing to knock them when we get a lot of people saying that we should run front pages every day saying demanding Mike Ashley go um, but then it starts to look a little bit unhinged I think because you have to be critical when the time's right to be critical um, and you know, the whole other podcast to, to be done about fan protest and rebellion and what's the right thing to do um, but you know all you need to know at the moment is that the protest stuff as much as anybody who does it with the right idea it does have an impact on the pitch and you know, while Rafa Benitez is here and trying to keep the team in the in the Premier League, I don't think he would welcome protests as there were in 2015 when it did have a big impact on the team. And you know, look, there were a lot of other reasons why they started to slip in form, and the fans I think were brilliant in that they forced the change in Newcastle's direction and attitude. Um, but it's a it's a difficult one for Newcastle fans at the moment because they're kind of. You know they don't really know what the future holds, but it, it's really difficult to know where to go. But that, that's our kind of attitude a little bit to, to the regime at the moment is that you know you can be openly critical, but hey, look, put him laying on his private plane to get Islam Salani here does not, you know, it, it's not the biggest thing in the world, but it does show. I think probably that you know he got he got in here, didn't he? I suppose I don't know whether I don't know whether it's a brilliant. It, it, it's it's not. You know, look, it's not going to solve. It doesn't mean ten years of mismanagement kind of go out the window, but um, it's something. It's something. Yeah. Uh, Ibrahim Iftar asks on Twitter um, about Dubrovka. Is he going to be number one immediately? So, as in Sunday, going to be in. And if so, then who's second? Who's third choice? I'd be surprised if he's straight into the team on Sunday. Given Rob Elliott's injury, albeit it's not a very serious one, I think he may well come in on the bench. Um, but I, he's he's not been signed just as as, as third choice necessarily. Um, Rafa wants 
playmaker style keeper he wants a keeper who he thinks is vocal and helps out his defence and the rest of his team and by all accounts Dubravka is that Dubravka has himself described himself as that in an NUFC TV interview people I've spoken to in the Czech Republic including journalists we've seen quite a lot in this year says the same um, so I think that it's going to be basically three keepers competing for the number one slot which is healthy in terms of competition and I think Dubravka will get a chance at some point just maybe not this weekend and I would say that he probably will be named on Sunday but that's just the way it is Fantastic Craig Thompson asks about the reduction in the wage but obviously a lot of players have gone out um, he's used the word disgraceful as in I think he means the wage bill has been reduced no parent signs have come in where's the kind of balance there um, disgraceful probably isn't the right word but what do you make of the reduction in the wage bill I mean they'll be happy well, with the club to get likes Jack Colback or at least some of his wage maybe off the books yeah it'd be nice that when I talk about the Lee Charlie interview I mean it'd be nice to know or have an idea of because it's you know I do agree with that to an extent but I very much doubt Nottingham Forest are paying 100% of Jack Colback's wages or the Fulham are paying 100% of Alexander Mitrovic's wages because that would be huge amounts for clubs in the championship so it, they're off the wage bill to an extent I think it was ju- it's just more that the reason they loaned them out was probably yeah, a little bit of bookkeeping but also I think that what Rafa was thinking getting rid of those two is he wants 100% commitment from every player he's got for the next four months and Mitrovic um, through not necessarily fault of Mitrovic's um, was you know his head had been turned a little bit um, financially you know it, it's difficult because we talk about figures and we don't always know you know and even people who are informed on Twitter and and in other places talk about net spend and things like that we don't actually know the exact figures until the um, until the accounts come out you know Sissoko they did get 30 million for Sissoko but they didn't get it all in one go so you know they did spend in the championship and you know they didn't get much money back the revenue wasn't there so they do have a responsibility to, to, to look after the budget but yeah I do agree with that that they probably haven't they've probably just they've definitely come in budget in the window they haven't spent a lot they have come in budget but the wage bill was already very high you've got to remember the wage bill includes a large portion of Matt Sell's wages out in Belgium who's the best paid player ever to play in the Belgian league they have a lot of players already out on loan who they're basically picking up the wages for Henri Savé they are paying part of his wages I believe the same with Jack Colback, the same with Mitrovic. And the wage bills are already was high, I believe the late 90 millions. Um, and so none of these players have gone permanently this month. And you've got to remember that Islam Somali's come in on extremely high wages, which they are paying. I think it's a, I think it's higher than anyone was at the club, or certainly around John Joe Shelby's sort of remit, but I think it's higher. Um, Dubravka's wages, he's, he's got more than he did before, but they're not significant. Um, Kennedy's are reasonably high so although I see the point where he's come from that the overall wage budget Newcastle have compared to their revenue the percentage of their revenue is actually quite high considering the position of the team in the league so it's a, it's, a, it's that balancing act where you'd like them to go and spend a bit more money but actually the wages because of the likes of, of Matt Sells and other people elsewhere the wage bill is actually a lot, a lot higher than you might think it, w- it would be Grand. And what I'll do now, I'll just name a few of the players who've gone out on loan. You can see whether I think it's going to be a good move and whether they will return in summer to kind of stay at Newcastle. So we'll start with you, Chris, and Alexander Mitrovic. I think this is a good move for all parties. I think he will do well there because Fulham create a lot of chances. Uh, I think he will leave in the summer as long as Rafa's still here. But 
I think it could work out well for Newcastle because if he does do well at Fulham and he has a good World Cup, hopefully they can get more money from him. Uh, Mark Rolando Ahrens? Interesting one. Uh, yeah, good move for him in that you know, it's going to probably get him a lot of game time and he'll learn a new culture um, and he'll come back and you know, Rafa will, I think, be impressed by his determination to go away and play and obviously he's working for um, one of Rafa's men in Fabio Pecchio. Fantastic. Uh, Henri Savier? Um, I think he'll do all right out there. It's strange because whenever play, players go out of Turkey, they don't seem to. The career doesn't seem to take a progression step. I'll take Denver Bar as the only exception to that because he went there and scored a lot of goals. Most people who go there, it doesn't really work out for them. I hope it it does for Savi. I think he's he's a nice bloke and he's 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 got something as a player. It just hasn't quite worked out for Newcastle. I don't see him on the long term future at the club. I think he will come back in the summer. And then I think it'll be the yearly, where is Henri Savier going to go next saga? Mark, Freddie Woodman? I would have liked to have seen Woodman stay in England and go to the Championship. Um, but, you know, Aberdeen's a good move for him because it's, it's a decent club and it gets him first team football. But I would have liked to have seen him in the Championship, which I think he would have got a move to the Championship or League One in the summer. If, um, But, you know, you don't get a lot of clubs looking to change goalkeeper halfway through the season. So, um, yeah, but a good move, you know. I mean, SPL's. Uh, not a bad standard is it and he's already been there before and, and done really well so um, good to see him out Fantastic obviously we know there's a few of us like Jimmy Sterry Jack Carback have gone out um, I mean Carback's Newcastle United career so it is over Sterry's an interesting one good potential but doesn't seem to maybe have much of a future on time so. Yeah I think injuries have partly affected him and just the step up he didn't get enough championship football last season and since then the step up's just been a bit high and uh, Benitez needed space in the squad and, and it just hasn't quite worked out for him. Colbag is an interesting one in terms of what happens at Nottingham Forest. He's just come out and said it's been a difficult few months. Hadn't said anything more yet because it was just with in house media at Nottingham Forest. But to see what his opinion on the situation. I suppose the one thing he would say is he does still have a contract in Newcastle and with Benitez's future still being up in the air, I suppose it's not completely black and white that he is definitely going to go. If Rafa Benitez is here in the summer, Jack Colback will not play for Newcastle United again, but everything's up in the air at the moment. So Neil Warnock will make him captain. So just to sum up on transfers, have Newcastle United done enough? Oh, oh that's a big question. Um, yes, just. I think it's going to be very, very close, but just. Mark. Um, it's going to be really, really close. I think there's three teams worse than them, so they're going to be they're going to be okay, but they're going to have to beat um, Huddersfield. That's massive. That game was huge, and Southampton as well at home, which are the next two after. At home, sorry, got West Brom as well at home as well. Put the return of Pardew. I'll tell you what, Mike. That's the second to last game of the season, isn't it? Is that last game of the season? Tell you what, like, can I? How are people going to? How are people gonna gonna get through it? It's gonna get tense, isn't it? It's gonna get so I mean, it's written tense. in the stars and the story scores the goal. No. 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 That's a long way away. We don't need to talk about that. We don't need to talk about that. What we do Christ. need to talk about is Crystal Palace on Sunday, down to London. Um a game Newcastle should look to win, but I mean Palace have a good forward line. Um, obviously I think Andrew Townsend might be pushing it to be involved. I think he's picked up a little bit of an injury, but Sahar Benteke scored. Um, earlier in the week they've got a good forward line um, it's not going to be an easy game 
It's not on Palace are very good at home. Um, they've hit, the last couple of weeks they've sort of lost a little bit of form, but since Roy Hodgson's gone in there, to be fair, I, I doubted the appointment from the start, but he's done really well. But the one thing I thought they always had um, when someone went in there, compared to some of the other teams down there, and more so than Newcastle, is they have players who can score goals or, or can make a difference. Wilfried Zaha can create a goal out of nothing. Uh, he has that bit of magic. Christian Benteke, once he hits a bit of form, can score goals. Andros Townsend is a difference maker in the bottom half of the Premier League as been years knew he was and would have been if Newcastle had signed him Johan a year Gabay. ago. Johan Gabay, yeah, struggling with injuries nowadays, but yeah, he still is a very good player. Um, and that is, I think, the difference between Palace and why they always had a chance of getting out of it as dire the situation was, and that's not taking anything away from the job that Hodgson has done. Um, so Newcastle are going to have to be really up for this they're going to have to be compact from the start and to be fair that away from home is where Newcastle have been slightly better and it'll be interesting because Palace do have a bit of a goal particularly at home which has suited Newcastle in their away games they can pick teams off on the break uh, if they can get Kennedy into the game Atu didn't play very well against Burnley but he could feature again Perez these sort of players on the, on the counter attack they do have a chance but I think Going into these two games against Burnley and Palace, I thought they needed four points from them. If you offered me a second one now, so it's two points from the two, I'd take it just because I don't think they can afford to lose down there and I'm not overly optimistic that they'll go there and win, if I'm honest. So Palace have signed a new striker in Alexandra Soloth, who hit 15 goals already this season. Um, we're a bit like Jorgensen, he's in the lower league, I think he's in the, is it the Norwegian league or the Danish league um, that he's in. Big out there, but obviously they've gone out and they've, they've strengthened up top. Where just like Rafa Benitez wanted to at Newcastle, they have. And what but the argument Benitez would make there, and the argument I suppose Mike Ashley and Lee Charney would make is Palace have been in the Premier League for the last few years. They've got the ability to be able to fork out that money because they've had the massive TV deals all the way through. Newcastle missed out on that for a year. They can probably afford to take a bit more of a gamble. Newcastle have taken a different gamble and that they're saying to play potentially injured and um, who has had a bit part role this season, hasn't exactly stormed it in the Premier League. The other approach is to go and sign a player from a, a different division and just take the gamble they're going to perform. So I think Palace have enough goals anyway, no matter what uh, the new striker does, um, and that might give him a bit of betting in time as well. So, Fantastic, Mark. Any changes that you've seen Castle making? On Sunday, will there be a new goalkeeper between the sticks? No, I don't think they'll change the goalkeeper straight away. It'd be a surprise anyway. But he's, he's going to get a chance, I think, at some point, definitely. Um, you might see Shelby come back in. Now, Diarmi's playing really well. I think, you know, Diarmi's the one who's probably going to be one of the first names on the team sheet because Rafa likes him anyway. Oh, Marino's gone to Bilbao as well, hasn't he? So. Yeah, Marino's gone to Bilbao, yeah. That was a strange one as well. Um, but you might see, you know, Gale back or something like that. But I, I think there'll be one or two. Changes, but it won't. It won't be massive. It won't be. It won't be huge. They haven't got a lot of other options. You know, the goalkeeper will be uh, the one to watch, but it might not be. I'd be very surprised if he brings him in straight away. Certainly, because he only arrived on Wednesday evening, flew across across the day in terms of in training, maximum two three days because they'll have a day off as well. I'd, I'd find it very surprising. You, you know, a bit more than me, Chris. Is he, how's his English? Very good. Very very good. So that's. You know, due diligence there, isn't it? Yeah. His English is really good, and it'll, you know, he's not going to have any problems communicating, um, which is which is really good. 
Uh, Murphy back in the side do you, do you think I think he's got a decent chance Atsu wasn't at the races at all last night it was he didn't have a regular game and, he, and Murphy came on for him in terms of if they do look for the counter attacking approach uh, Murphy and Kennedy potentially I suppose he'd have an experience on both wings but that will be an interesting combination to see uh, I think he's been in form in the last, of the last six eight weeks so yeah I think he's got a decent chance of being in the side yeah. fantastic so centre pairing in midfield and centre back first of all centre back I think it'll be the same the, the cells and clock uh, centre mid Mark centre mid Shelby and Diaby classic and up front Diaby's been excellent form in recent weeks by yes, the way yes, from, yes. Um, up front up front uh, Slimani on one leg <laughs> Hosselu <laughs> Hosselu it's going to be Gale hasn't it I mean, after the other day and then you have a point to prove as well going back to his old clubs yep Definitely, yeah, yeah, yeah. Felt that he didn't really get the chances he deserved there. So, um, yeah. interestingly, I was sat next to Mark Bright at uh, Stamford Bridge last weekend, who is still connected uh, to Crystal Palace, and he made a few comments about Gale during the game. Just seems to to like him as a finisher, but suggesting that, that he doesn't really have it in the Premier League as an all-round player. So I think there is that feel in the Palace as well. That he didn't necessarily get the opportunities that he wanted. And I think that was a bit of a scouting mission on Newcastle. I'm sure he saw plenty of, of, of up and, uh, he's been optimistic about Palace's chances against Newcastle after last Sunday's performance as well. That's when we're about to be optimistic about Newcastle's chances against Crystal Palace, aren't we guys? Score prediction? Ones each. They can, go, they can go and win. They're 2-1. 2-1. There we have it. If you head over to chroniclelive.co.uk you can keep up to date with all the latest Newcastle United news. Thank you very much. Thank you very much for listening. Please remember to like, subscribe and share the podcast, whether that be through iTunes, Audio Boom, Spotify or whichever platform you may be listening through. And if you want to get involved with the podcast, you can do so via our social media channels. We're over on Twitter at Chronicle NUFC and on Facebook at the same handle, Chronicle NUFC. We want your questions, your topics, your feedbacks. Why don't you drop us a line and get in touch?